punching and shooting and stabbing. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that can't help but wonder, just what the hell did Jimmy Carter do in this life or some previous life to be forced to go on enduring here for so long at the end? What with the promise of a blissful life eternal just on the other side, according to the things in which he has publicly professed sincere belief for many, many decades of public life? Paul Rubin's public sins amounted to being a bit too horny in public for a children's entertainer called Pee-wee, along with some other socially out-of-step appetites, and he was, earlier this year, mercifully transported to the here-ever-after at the tender age of 70. Jimmy Buffett flattered the human veracity for sloth and indulgence and for sitting around doing nothing but getting hammered and eating junk food to a perhaps unsurprising but somehow still shocking billion-dollar net worth. And off he goes, this week, escorted to Cheeseburger Valhalla at just 76. Jerry Springer created and hosted a popular television program, Coom Trashy Freak Show, that highlighted, encouraged, and arguably celebrated the most depraved, attention-seeking, and despicable human behavior imaginable, while attempting to excuse his part in it, once his guests had been forcibly restrained long enough for him to speak, by offering some relatively sage pablum packaged as final thoughts that we ought to, after watching some overfed and underdressed cousins punch themselves bloody and pull each other's heads hair, and or perform various sex acts on each other, take care of ourselves and each other. This enlightened clown Mahatma earned his wings last spring at just 79. Raquel Welch inspired countless lustful mind adulteries across multiple generations and only had to stick around until this past April at 82 when the good Lord above decided she had paid her penance. Bobby Hull, one of the greatest hockey players of all time and also a proud racist and something of a Hitler apologist and repeated violent assaulter of his many wives was granted his reprieve this past January at just 84. Burt Bacharach, who maliciously channeled his prodigious talent for pop songcraft into the unforgivable work of confusing people into thinking that easy listening is a good and worthy pursuit, was called home to the big white muted piano bar in the sky at the relatively spry age of 94. His debts apparently paid. But Jimmy Carter who is now less than one month away from beginning a hundredth dour trip around the sun, goes on. Jimmy Carter, so old that he was the first U.S. president to be born in a hospital. Jimmy Carter, the mild-mannered peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia, the man who told the nation that we were suffering a crisis of confidence and faith, that we need look no further than ourselves and our fellow citizens to solve that crisis, and who has spent the more than 40 years of his post-presidency building houses for the poor and writing books about achieving peace in the Middle East and advocating for the fair and equal treatment of women around the world by condemning the abuses they suffer at the hands of religiously empowered men. Jimmy Carter still presumably wakes in his bed from time to time, breathes a confused and impassive and stoic, but still noticeably disappointed sigh, and goes on. 
his god above cruelly indifferent, or perhaps enjoying the spectacle of making Jimmy wait just a little bit longer for that final, merciful last breath. What, then, has Jimmy done to deserve this perversely protracted lingering, this ongoing separation from the light and the peace and the joy that his God has promised him? What unspeakable sins has he committed to be condemned to outlast even Bob Barker on this fallen mortal plane? The smash-mouth guy even got a reprieve, for Christ's sakes. Whatever it is, this podcast doesn't want to know. Unlike the former president, this podcast doesn't believe in any heavenly, happily ever after, and is at best deeply suspicious of whatever spite-filled deities might be responsible for all of this. We'll take our time here with grace and amusement, and with a cheerful, observational spirit, even as the world burns, even though we might as well be walking on the sun. You might as well be walking on the sun. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. You doing tonight, Lori? Um, Smash Mouth is one of the first bands that I ever saw in concert. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Lori is reminiscing. Tonight is Tuesday, September the 5th. 2023. Here we are, a week into September almost already. Here on a Tuesday night, uh, you know, because of Labor Day, didn't feel That's like right. uh, as president and CEO of this here podcasting outfit, I didn't want to make you you laborers labor on Labor Day. So we took the night off. Here we are instead. Yeah, you have a good Labor Day weekend, Dave? Nice long weekend? I, uh, I did. You know, this is, uh, what, federal holiday number seven? Uh, just as good as the others. Um, we, uh, I spent this weekend just hanging out with some friends on Saturday. You know, college football is back. Uh, Georgia played not a very good opponent, but for some reason, all of my friends, their schedule opened up at 6 o'clock on Saturday. And so we're like, okay. hey, let's go to a sports bar to watch this 50-point spread of a game. And uh, it's a lot of fun, just poking fun at that bozo offensive coordinator who's got this constipated offense again. Oh, my God. Like, it's not even Bo- – we can't blame Bobo yet, but holy shit was like – because I was not a – I was a big Bobo apologist back in the day. I thought oh, he yeah? was actually a pretty good OC, and given what we had to work with, like it it just wasn't that complicated back then. You know uh, who loved Bobo is Aaron Murray. Yeah. He would not shut up the whole time. I liked, I liked Mike Bobo a lot, and I didn't appreciate all of the Bobo hate – through the years, but uh, what we saw on Saturday, I think, was less of a Mike Bobo problem and more of a this is what Kirby's offense always looks like, especially at the start of the season, where he's got this stupid plan in his head that's like, you know what, we're going to be a uh, composure and physicality. We're going to be a team that runs it up the middle because that's yeah. that's how you establish dominance. That's the kind of team we want to be. Got have a lot of physicality, so we're just going to ram it into our offensive linemen's asses for like an hour and a half <laughs> until we finally decide, you know what, let's try just for fun running it outside of the tackle box and see what happens and and what happens is like a 30 yard gain like right away Um, (laughs) yeah yeah hey how do your friends feel about clemson abe oh (laughs) you know i uh 
there, there are a couple of surprises this weekend, and I, um, including LSU, just I don't know what happened against FSU. If either team won, I would have been fine with. Just the, the margins is what threw me off. But I totally forgot that there was yet another game of college football on Monday. So this morning, I wake up to that the, the shellacking, this Duke team that right? was wearing Colts uniforms for some reason. Uh, they beat a Clemson team that's supposed to be, like, decent. Like, I don't know what's going on. The first week of college football is a little weird. Uh, my, my one friend, uh, Micah, who's big on uh, uh, – Clemson, he's uh, big on Clemson that, that, and big on big on bitches as well. He's big <laughs> yeah. fan of yeah. Clemson and former Clemson quarterbacks who have uh, been fairly convincingly established as uh, repeated. Some might even say serial sexual assaulters. That's right. That's right. Uh, although apparently, according to him, uh, he's changed his ways. But uh, he's concerned that uh, the Clemson program is backsliding to what they were like before the titles like when we're going to college and 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 beyond like they just kind of were like yes the team clemson, that clemson up. as joke yeah yeah clemsoning was a thing and it's like is, are they going back to the battle days um maybe they are i don't know but uh at the just going back real quick to the sports bar um setting uh we're this was like a talcomac a wing kind of place you know just you know Buffalo Wild Wings, yeah. that's a similar comp to that. Uh, the waitress uh, who was uh, uh, serving us, going with the very confident I don't need to write it down thing, which I think I mentioned before, I don't know why people do this. Uh, she, she in particular, I mean, I don't think she'll identify, I, I'm not identifying her, but she appeared to everyone in the group like high a bit, right? right? So like she was like forgetful the whole time. Like you would order something basic, let me get – Ten wings with like you know fries, you know just like whatever. Just give me a thing, right? And then again, no problem. I got you. And then like five minutes later, like so you got what again? Let's oh, say, right, I got the Ten wings and then the, the fries. All right, got you. Like it'll take like at least one more ad back before she would get it, and it would take like until the end of the night. But by the time we're about to leave, uh, she started to write down things at the very end. She's like, all right, who ordered what? Uh, I'm way too fucking high. Uh, we've got to write this but, down. But this is like two hours later. It's just weird. Like, why don't you just write it down from the get-go? I don't know why people do, oh, I can remember this. Because uh, especially my uh, friends, they are uh, they have the tendency to overly complicate some things. Like, yeah. oh, let me get that 10 piece of wings, but I'm a vegetarian, so none of those should actually be wings. Could you substitute <laughs> cauliflower? It's just like overly complicated like i don't want those fries i want this other fr- piece of fr- like it just it's, it doesn't lend itself to like memorizing it's not like let me get, get two number ones right so the high waitress reminds me of a conversation that i tried to have out in denver with a bunch of uh, high assholes at my brother's bachelor party which was we're all living the good life now with the with the the legal marijuana, right? Like the the end of prohibition seems to be uh, Im- imminent everywhere, not just uh, in Colorado and various other states that are slowly legalizing it. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, the federal government is like considering changing the classification from like Schedule mm-hmm. One to Schedule Three or some nonsense. Right. So the future. there is going to be a backlash to this in like I don't know when. Like there will be a backlash to the backlash, which you know, people get upset about going. To, you read about it online and on Twitter about people like, ah, oh, New York City just smells like weed all the time now. Oh, I don't like it. And then other people are like, ah, oh, you're just a racist. It's like, ah, I'm not sure that that tracks, but whatever. I just don't like that <laughs> smell. 
And also it's everywhere and it's, right. it's obnoxious uh, in the same way that it used to be super obnoxious to walk into a restaurant and there'd just be cigarette smoke in the entire yes. thing. And now we don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, I wonder what the half-life is on this legalization regime because there's going, there will be the studies that come out, like the long-term studies that come out about constant use. Uh, there are some, like, and there's not a ton of reliable polling that I've seen on this yet, but some of the polls that you see are startling in how much weed people are, like, like heavy users are ingesting right. in terms of, like, I'm just fucking high all day long right. and it's great because it's legal now. So it's fine. So fuck you. And they're happy to answer the question like, yes, I get high every day and yeah. do my job and it's totally fine. Uh, and I don't want to be a, uh, uh, a narc or a stick in the mud here, but my, my impression is that it's the, sort of your natural inclination. Though. Maybe it is a little bit. Um, my feeling is that on the, I don't know how long it's going to take, but, we will have a bounce back from this where people start to get upset about all of the weed stuff once again. And there will be studies about kids and uh, the way kids' right. brains are affected and that sort of thing. And there will be plenty of reefer madness nonsense, I'm sure, on the on the one hand, but also probably some legitimate conversation that gets dismissed uh, on the other hand. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't. I don't think we're going to get to the point where – like all 50 states have gone to a full legalization regime before that bounce back happens. So I don't know what the time frame is, but it's not like we're going to get to Mississippi and Alabama being like, yeah, just smoke everywhere. Fuck it. Who cares? Uh, and then the and then the reaction happens. I think it's going to happen before then. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, it, so for that to happen, wouldn't there be some sort of like some event happening? I would just think of like something usually will get people to – change their views on things like the smoking uh the nuisance of just smelling smoke like i remember when i don't know how many years ago it was but it wasn't that long ago a couple of years ago i went to vegas and one thing i noticed is just like boy that smells like weed everywhere you go like just like when you're out and about walking and it's like it's noticeable um and so like i imagine in new york city i'm sure it's the same uh although when i went there i didn't remember smelling yeah, but anything, new york but used like, to smell like pee yeah and now it smells like something weed, in new york which city is better Right. So, like, a lot of this stuff is already kind of baked in, so to speak. Uh, and so, like, I don't know what would have to happen for people to, to to say, oh, we've gone too far in one direction. I think the studies, maybe, like, if the studies come out, like, even worse than people uh, think, because I'm, I'm sure the studies will show that, obviously, for kids is no good, prolonged use is no good. But what if it's more than just what people expect? Like, it's actually worse than we thought. Like, I don't, you know, like, well, and even if, like that. even if it doesn't, even if you can't conclusively prove that, like, long-term exposure to marijuana has detrimental impacts on your brain or your ability to process information, which I don't know how it wouldn't. Like, just based, based on personal experience, the reason I don't like being high is because I don't like feeling fucking slow. And, like, from right. time to time, it's fine to have a night where you're just hanging out watching stupid television and you have an edible, and that's fine. But on a regular basis, like, I think it just makes me less engaged with the world. And I'm not sure that we could get to a point where it's as ubiquitous as alcohol, which, again, and the thing that they say about alcohol is if you knew everything that you knew about alcohol and then you were going to introduce it to the human population, you never would. 
right? Like uh, we accept it because it's a natural part of uh, human culture for thousands of years. It's people like to get drunk. They like to drink. Uh, they often like to drink to absolute excess to the point where it harms them. Uh, and but then they it, do it every night all the time. Right. And prohibition obviously doesn't work for that. Uh, and I don't think that prohibition is necessarily the answer here with marijuana either. But the, the culture is going to embrace this thing. And then I think ultimately like there will be a full embrace and then the, and then the rejection will come a little bit so further it, down the line. You know, the uh, the alcohol example though is a good one because it's like I mean it's like the only thing where they pa- not only do they pass a constitutional amendment to ban some to ban this alcohol like it was such a disaster that they undid it with another amendment. I mean it's just like a ridiculous experience where like hey, this thing is bad, like it's not good for your health, and people get like drunk and they beat their wives or what, you know, however it was formulated in that uh, Ken Burns documentary, uh, Prohibition, where they were kind of talking about like the run-up to the uh, Prohibition movement and amendment, uh, like there were legitimate reasons why people right. wanted a gun. It, was, it was arguably, even though it was a disaster, it was an experiment worth trying. Uh, right. you know, uh, but maybe what happened, it, it was a problem – like you try to solve a problem, but you you didn't, and not only that, it, be, it it caused other problems like the violence. Basically, just making this a black market only kind of thing, and so like it was just like, all right, let's give up. Right, it was bad. It invented organized crime in this country, more or less, right? <laughs> or at least it right. gave organized crime a way to thrive in a way that it hadn't uh, before. Right. And so, yeah, maybe you ultimately shouldn't have done that. Uh, but yeah, the concerns were so severe that it was worth trying, at least uh, according to the politicians at the time. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't like being around a bunch of high people. I don't like like your experience. I mean, obviously, whatever. It's a taco mac. Who fucking cares? Yeah. But like, we, you yeah. don't want your bus driver to be fucking high. You don't want everybody no, no. out there in the world being high all the goddamn time. It's annoying to be around high people in the same way. It's annoying to be around fucking drunk people. And it's sort of weird that there's, at least at the moment, it seems, there's because you can, some people think they can get by without getting noticed for how fucking high they are. Yeah. uh, There's a little bit of just walking around high at this point in a way that people don't just walk around drunk the way that they used to. Right, because at least with, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, you smell in both situations, but I would imagine you can suss out a drunkard. Because they just, if you're near them... Well, it's just, just so much health. more debilitating. You can tell yeah. when someone's drunk. That's true, like, yeah. Real, the I mean, and uh, the, you know, the real addicts where they can kind of seem not drunk, and they are, are the, they're the ones with the biggest problem. Yeah. yeah. Where the people the with the biggest problem with weed are the ones where it's like, oh, they're high all the time, you know? Yeah. yeah. But then again, you got uh, Will, uh, you didn't uh, include Willie Nelson in your rundown of dead, right? So he's still hanging around with his uh, weed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess maybe it's prolonging. <laughs> maybe that's Jimmy's secret too. Maybe Jimmy Carter has just been fucking stoned out of his gourd for the last forty it, years. It can be peanuts, right? It's got to be something else. It could be peanuts. No. Uh. So fucking uh, Smash Mouth guy died. Lori mentioned that. Yeah. You said that was your first concert. It was a concert that involved Smash Mouth, Everclear, Blink-182, and Jimmy Eat World, and another one that I didn't see. That's quite a quite a lineup. It was great. I fucking hate that Everclear band. The DC band. 101 Chili Cook-Off, 
eight. Smash Mouth guy drank himself to death apparently, and his liver his liver stopped working. My obituary for the Smash Mouth guy is that it is incredible to me that that band wrote a perfect pop rock song in Walking on the Sun, which I believe is just a it's just a fucking perfect song. It's one of those perfect goddamn songs, and then. Uh, had that all-star song, I'm which gonna is... I'm going to get mad at you. I can tell. Shut your mouth. What am I going to say? You're going to say it's not good. No. That's also a great song. It's, it's a little, so good. It's a little bit cheesier. It's it's a little bit sillier. Uh, it's a little bit more family-friendly, you might say. It became that. Right. What I'm saying is it's incredible to me that they wrote that perfect pop rock song that felt, by all accounts, by, by any measure, like, oh, you did it. You're not going to do that again. Like that. It's just this thing that you did that was incredible, fairly to moderately successful at the time. And then they come out with that fucking all-star song, and it's one of the biggest songs in the history of pop songs. radio, of Is all songs. Is that the Shrek movie? I mean, the yeah. Shrek song? It okay. was in but Shrek, that, but that but was, was two years after it was in Mystery Men. Way later. Like it was, it was oh, in multiple wow. movies. It was insanely popular. It's got a killer bridge. Somebody wants those two songs are they both have perfect bridges but uh obviously not a music critic can't really talk in the right way no but uh it's a bummer that he drank himself to death but holy was, shit what a great job uh writing and performing two perfect pop songs i read somewhere that uh, there was some sort of family tragedy and then like that led him to the path of like drinking himself to death i don't know how Sounds right. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about uh, music's Guy Fieri and his uh, sad personal history, but uh, I'm sure that he was uh, deep down inside a lovely man. As if that all was his... a clue to a game, like we think everybody would get who you're referencing. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's a anybody apt... who knows what he right. looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll's Guy Fieri. And it's like, ah, the Sugar Ray guy. No, fuck. The all, uh, all-star or the Smash Mouth. That guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> it would limit it down to those two. All right. Let's uh, open up the WGAS news bag here. And I'm just going to go to the uh, top news stories at the AP and talk about some of them. Because I don't know what else to talk about tonight. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, Proud Boys Enrique. Enrique Tarrio gets a record 22 years in prison for January 6th seditious conspiracy. That seems like too long, just off the top yes. of my head. That's the most, right, of the bunch? Yeah, the longest so far among the more than 1,100 capital riot cases. Now, the, the length uh, notwithstanding, you think like these uh, string of like news stories about different, ty- ty- uh, different uh, participants getting like, you know, serious like prison time, do you think this will be like sobering for anyone else that will want to try this in the future? Do you think that this is like a good deterrent? Because like for a while, it just seemed like, seemed like all these people did a thing and it seemed like people were just kind of – No, like no, the and- opposite. This will be a, an incentive for Trump and his supporters to get him reelected so that Trump can inevitably issue a pardon for this guy and everyone else as well. And arguably no. uh, fucking – if Tario serves like three years and then Trump gets in there, uh, God forbid, and pardon pardons him, 
All right. He did did three years in federal lockup. I'm all right. He did his time. He doesn't need to serve another fucking 19 years or whatever the number would be. That sounds crazy to me. Uh, We can both uh, reject the idea. uh, Sentence. Like, what would you? uh, I mean, 22, 11. Are you suggesting that it's arbitrary? So who cares that it's 22? Yeah, it doesn't throw numbers out there. I don't know. I don't know what the right number is. What I know for sure is that 22 years in prison for a fucking rally that got out of hand and turned into a violent... Like, I, I just don't... Well, it I, didn't get out of hand. I mean, there was... By the, the, I know, but like... You didn't get a cover. I, I sort of swing around on my feeling about January 6th, which I think I can firmly say was... Absolutely awful. The experience of watching it and the aftermath of it uh, felt like an emergency along the same lines as all of the other big bad things that happened in this country in my lifetime, right? Like the uh, after 9-11 happened. No, it was just 9-11. Uh, it, it felt along those lines as bad and scary and out of control. And I was all for the prosecution of all of the idiots who found themselves in that situation and yeah zealously prosecute the guys who had an a hand in the organization of it pound of flesh right that's what the people want uh it's weird to me that the same group of people who would be bemoaning the carceral state uh would be the ones least likely to be upset about the 22 year prison sentence for this dummy and uh and his buddies like and even to me like if all you did was go into the Capitol after somebody else had bro- broken it, broken in the door, and you didn't do any violence that they can prove, I mean, yeah, you were part of a violent mob ultimately, and you should be punished accordingly. But uh, I don't know. More than a couple of years strikes me as now, an awful lot. Now, maybe I'm not following all the different cases, but from what I gather, they have kind of taken that approach. Like, if you just are just like, just some. Buddy just kind of like walking into this, you know, like they were participating in it, but they didn't really seem like they played a key role. They're not bringing up charges against them, right? It's the people that had more involvement, like more like planning, more like, you know, egging the thing on, like that sort of thing, like, right? I mean, they're not giving years of sent of prison time to like some yokel from Wisconsin. I don't know. Some of the yokels, I think, have gotten, I haven't looked deeply into it, but some of the yokels have gotten like five and six year prison sentences. I For think. Just, just being at, uh, being there? Just like, yeah. they, they had no, wow. Anyway, I, again, I think it was a terrible, awful thing that happened, and also I think that terrible, awful things happen, and I don't think there's any amount of punishment that is going to dissuade people, if they are convinced of the righteousness of their cause, from pulling off something similar again in the future, if uh, asked to, uh, by not Enrique Tarrio, but by that fucking former shitty president of the United States. All right, Senator McConnell's health episodes show no evidence of stroke or seizure disorder, but questions linger. Did you see video of this over the weekend? Oh, yes. Uh, This kind of made the rounds. Uh, You know, some of my friends who don't follow politics that much, uh, were sharing it like even more so than the first time this has happened when he was like standing in front of those uh, the leadership um, in the Senate. Right. So he gets asked at a press con- a press availability, standing in front of a, a small gaggle uh, towards the end of something where he had been talking for a few minutes already. Uh, he's asked a question about whether or not he's going to run again when he comes up. 
And he he paused. He asked for them to repeat the question as though he hadn't heard it. And then when the question comes out again, it's just dead silence and no movement of McConnell's face. He's just sort of staring blankly ahead and unable to speak. And if you have any sort of human empathetic bone in your body, you feel fucking terrible for this guy, yeah. even though uh, you don't care for him and believe he is a poisonous aspect of our entire political system and has done immeasurable harm to the institution that he claims to be a champion of. Uh, but still, it feels bad watching him suffer in that way. Um, the response to this from some folks, uh, first of all, is fucking gross to see people when when i see people bring up joe biden and then the response becomes well yeah but you've got mitch mcconnell like we've got diane feinstein on this hand and mitch mcconnell on this Uh, side it's the same problem you can't say anything because you've got penalty yeah right offsetting penalty nonsense uh mcconnell unlike feinstein and less so or maybe closer to what how people describe biden uh, is still with it like 99% of the time, but has these episodes where he is just not there any longer. Uh, and that seems to be an entirely different situation than the Diane Feinstein situation and the, the Fetterman situation where he was uh, severely diminished uh, right. in the aftermath of his stroke. And who knows how much better that's gotten. Uh, presumably he's, he's healing uh, to some degree or another. Uh, but Nikki Haley, uh, who had a bounce uh, to some extent after her performance in the debate uh, and uh, recent polls in Iowa suggest that she might be on the come a little bit. She might oh, be uh, okay. making a move for second place with DeSantis uh, continuing to to fall back. Uh, she got on the uh, on the Sunday shows this week and was insisting that there needed to be these mental competency tests for anyone over 50 or 60 or whatever the number was going to be where they have to pass these doctor's exams and have these doctor's notes that uh, permit them to run for office. And uh, I can't see that as anything but a stupid like a weird concession to no one that actually right. solves none of the problem, uh, as evidenced by Donald Trump's constant parading of his his flawless mental acuity exam, where he says, woman, the man, man woman, camera, woman, TV. Television. Uh, like, camera. Mitch McConnell, could pass, Mitch McConnell could pass that test a thousand times in a row, and he still might have this weird moment where his brain shits out on him for 30 seconds and he can't respond to anything. Like also, I mean, the way uh, Nikki Haley suggests, like, what would be – like, the doctor would, would rule somebody ineligible to, to – to, to be in office, like they, they would give a doctor that authority to say, oh, you don't have it. You lost your fastball, McConnell. Like you have to set this one out. Like how would constitutionally would that work? Like where somebody just says no. Right. And what is preventing – I mean Donald Trump, uh, according to his physician, was 6'3 and uh, 195 pounds of, <laughs> of pure muscle <laughs> and in perfect physical condition for a man of his age uh, or a man much younger than him. And and yeah, said man, woman, camera, TV or whatever the <laughs> stupid thing to, was. To, to that point, you know, it wasn't until that incident with Trump's uh, doctor who turned out – who went on to like run for office, uh, Randy Jackson or whatever, right? There was this doctor 
that was the physician for the president when Trump was president, and he gave him like this glowing review. And like at that time, his uh, weight was six three two thirty nine, and I found it out two thirty nine. So I think like what Homer Simpson weighs. Just a weird number. And then like. If you do the BMI thing, it was like one pound off from obese. Like it was, it, it seemed like it was a calculated thing. But that was the first time it occurred to me that like these doctors for politicians are like are on the take, or they're willing to sign off whatever you tell them, right? So like when when that happened, I was like, okay, this is possible. And then when I'm hearing the doctor give the all clear for McConnell, I'm like, if he didn't have, if he failed some sort of test. Would he be duty bound to release that information, or could he? No, he's say he's duty thing? bound to tell Mitch McConnell the truth about his condition. He's not duty bound to tell us anything about his condition. Right, but but would is like if he said, okay, this is the bad news. You, your office can figure it out. But I'm not going to release something to say you're good. Right? I mean, that would be him actually doing something that's inconsistent with the truth. Right. So like, I, I guess wonder, is like, I mean I don't know the Hippocratic oath doesn't have anything. Like, I don't know what ethical guidelines doctors are expected to adhere to, but I imagine it's all focused on the patient-doctor relationship, and not, right. it doesn't have anything to do with the PR aspect of being a fucking politician. So, right? Do no harm, actually, but, like, political optics uh, carry whomever's water, like, just do their bidding. Just Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, uh, uh, the... The doctor's ethical boards or whatever? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have any problem no, with that. No. Like, from a personal moral perspective, you know, you do what you got to do, I suppose. But, uh, but you know, the problem with this sort of uh, situation is like, okay, everybody, when they see that clip that's made the rounds, and then you hear the doctor say he didn't have any of the things that you would think he would have, like, it's got to be something. Like, nobody just Yeah, what's behaves. wrong with him then? So I'm thinking, you know, Bob earlier was saying there are people out there thinking they're going undetected behaving a certain way. Do you think Mitch McConnell is high? Like, what if he's just, like, really high? Like, that would explain <laughs> he's not. him so just standing first, there. I, what I liked about the response at first, I mean, obviously I only saw the clip with full knowledge of the fact that this was some sort of a brain episode where uh, shit stopped working. But, yeah. like, if I had been watching it live, I would have thought – this is a tremendous answer to this question, which is to just stoically say nothing when the guy asks you about you running for office at the age of fucking 86. Like, uh, not answering that question. I'm not even going to respond to it. I'm just going to sit here for the amount of time that it would take me to formulate and respond to such a question and then move on. And I like it would have been a perfect response to the stupid question. But, it would have been great uh, if he stood there that long, like just like for way too long, and then just said, you know, to borrow a Biden's uh, phrase, you know, watch me, <laughs> and right. just walk away and see what what they say. Uh, back to these mental acuity tests things, and like this is something that, like, I don't know if it's got legs. I can't imagine again what sort of constitutional hoops would have to be figured out in terms of. Having these have any force of of law at all, it would have to presumably it would just be a norm that people would start adhering to, and as a norm, it can be broken or simply lied about, and nobody but will you, fucking care. Right, but you know, age is a protected class, right? So they would have to design this 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 process that's designed intentionally to to, to weed out old people, but they can't say 
old geezers only. They would have to make it in a way where it's like universally applicable. Right. Uh, right. And then what you end up with is, uh, you know, who's the, the Colorado chick who's uh, the, the congresswoman from Colorado? Anybody with a, an IQ below 85 and also who is super old now can't pass these mental acuity tests. <laughs> and, uh, and we lose a whole class of, of, uh, of politicians because of it, which wouldn't be a terrible thing. But uh, more to a, to a broader point about it. We keep looking for solutions to problems that are of the people's making yes. that that circumvent the will of the people, right? Because Mitch McConnell continues to be reelected by healthy margins in his st- home state of Kentucky, despite his advancing age. Diane Feinstein was uh, clearly should not have stood for reelection, and yet easily, handily won. Re-election. Uh, Chuck Grassley is, I believe, going to be 94 uh, the next time he comes up for election, something along it, those lines. He, he has uh, committed to running for re-election in 28. I assume he's setting the table for his kid, but like he – and he's like 90 or whatever. So like in 2028, he'll be older than that. Right. Joe Biden uh, won despite being quite aged himself. Uh, the, right. the point here being that if it's not a problem for the voters, why is it a problem that Nikki Haley or whoever uh, believes needs to be bandaged over with uh, clearly unconstitutional right. mental acuity tests before you can uh, run for office? And uh, it seems to be along the same lines as where I keep saying that I cannot fathom a reality in which Joe Biden and Donald Trump – are going to be the candidates for office, and uh, that lives in harmony in my brain with the fact that I know that only Joe Biden and Donald Trump will be candidates for office <laughs> in 2024. Uh, the American people don't want that matchup overwhelmingly, right? Uh, 70% plus believe that Joe Biden is too old to be the president of the United States. Uh, the overwhelming majority of Americans don't want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. The majority of Republicans don't want Donald right. Trump to be the nominee. And it doesn't matter, right? So we have this situation where our institutions are, are uh, continuing to feed us results that we don't like. And so we keep trying to come up with these funny ways of getting around what ends up being ultimately the will of the people uh, to essentially no effect, right? And so that's why you get somebody like Nikki Haley saying, well, uh, these fucking idiots, they keep picking the olds and we can't get rid of the olds, but maybe if we put a speed bump between the people and the olds, then we'll figure it out, uh, isn't actually solving uh, a, a problem in a way that makes any sense. And in the same way, our primary system continues to deliver to us candidates who are completely unacceptable to large majorities of the country, and there doesn't seem to be anything that we can do about it. Like It, it suggests something is fundamentally broken uh, in the way that we do things and probably can't change uh, for the better. It's a, it's a pessimistic uh, way of looking at it, I suppose, but it's the way I'm seeing it now. Well, you know, if you – what's weird about – this sort of issue is that like the the reason for the uh, majority of people not being happy with the choices that they get is that the system produces these bad choices right and so you know despite 
most people's concerns with Biden's age or Trump's indictments on either side, like if you give them the choice of that person versus somebody that they like even less, they'll always go with that, despite the concerns they have about age or, uh, you know, criminal issues or what other issues there are. So like the problem seems to be like uh, you have to like go upstream to see like what you can do to to fix the system. And that's like with the voting process, right? So by the time most people uh, get to choose, like if you live like in a state where you vote after uh, Super Tuesday, right? So let's say you're not even like, you know, Iowa or New Hampshire or Nevada or South Carolina, you're not even the Super Tuesday states. You are like voting in April or May, right? You have no choice, right? Like all the decisions have been made by voters in other states, right? And so you you have no choice in the primary. And so like if the primary is still active, which is not likely, you may have a little to say, but basically it's been uh, whittled down to just a few choices, right? Or just a couple of choices. And the same thing happened by the time the November elections come, you have to choose between two people who you had no real say, you know, uh, on how they got there in the first place, right? So you're like, these are choices that are put on you, and you're choosing often the less of the two bad, right? And so like, why not change the system to where you have more say, like maybe change the calendar of the primaries, have it more states go up, you know, up front, uh, have a, or just have an, or just have national primaries. Have a Super Tuesday that's National Primary Day, right? And you do it, you do it all at once, and maybe you get a slightly better result that way. Especially if you in, you do it as ranked choice voting, and you don't you don't stop the you know you don't stop the ranked choice math until you get to somebody at at over fifty percent. Maybe you get better candidates that way. I don't know. I don't know. But any of that, a million that different the things that you could the, do. Uh, the focus, right? Instead of like the no labels or like third party, like just fix the system to where people have more say, like have it be like ranked choice or some other method of voting to where like your main interest is protected, but you go for the candidate that you want the most and then see if that kind of shakes the way we pick people. Right, but what is the what is the because this has to come as a fix from the parties themselves, and the parties have no incentive whatsoever to fix the problem, right? Unless the party fucking implodes on itself, right? So the best case scenario in that in that regard is that Donald Trump gets the nomination and then loses because he can't muster more than like thirty nine or forty two percent of a national vote or something like that, and. And then what is the Republican Party at that point moving forward? It's no right. longer a viable national brand in right. the same way. It, it still works at the local level as an opposition to uh, the liberal agenda or what have you. But the, the national relevance of the, of the party, I mean, they will have lost five straight elections, right? I mean, they, they will have lost every meaningful national election, uh, only barely squeaking by in 2016 because of the vagaries of the electoral college system, but then losing nationally in 18 and 20 and 22. And presumably with Trump, it's a very tough road in 24. And that's despite how close it was. And that's despite the fact that apparently there are polls coming out now that show uh, like a Biden-Trump matchup being about as as close to a coin flip as you can get in terms of uh, who comes up uh, with a slightly larger number of national votes. Um, again, I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't expect the parties, because there's no incentive for them to cede any of the power that they currently have, they're not going to fix it themselves. Uh, so uh, barring some sort of 
huge collective action that is utterly unfathomable right now, uh, nothing will change. Yeah, and and I think there is. I mean, it's not a it's not a good chance, but there's an opportunity there to get like bipartisan bipartisan support to change the system to have better options. Like you can maybe mark, I don't know if Nikki Haley's best best option is we want a mental acuity test. Then I don't see a lot of. Uh, like, who's offering a chance to change the system? Uh, right. But th- I, th- I imagine those are the kind of like shallow offerings that kind of play well to the voter. Like, you know, like, and I went, oh, yeah, they should do something about that. But like nobody's actually going to propose that in, for real. Headline, new book details Biden-Obama frictions and says Harris sought roles away from the spotlight. This is uh, in reference to Franklin Foer's book. He's an Atlantic staff writer, uh, very much in the uh, sort of dead center of traditional democratic mainstream thought on most things over the last few years. Uh, And does it matter? Like, I don't care about the details of this story, but what is interesting to me is that someone like Franklin Four is writing sort of the first of the Woodward books uh, to come out about the Biden presidency. uh, Because I I don't know if Woodward has one in, presumably Woodward and Bob Costa are working on one for the, uh, for the Biden administration, but I don't think we've seen a word about that yet. This is the first big, like, I talked to 40 Biden insiders, right. and here's what it looks like inside the Biden White House. And it apparently, according to one excerpt that I've read and according to reviews of the book, does not paint a very flattering picture of the first two years of the Biden administration does that matter that somebody at the Atlantic who's right there dead center in the middle of the mainstream sort of democratic leaning media agenda would suggest that uh, not all is rosy inside the Biden White House? You know, I, I do wonder like what the like in which direction this would go. Like, is this the same person who uh, came out saying that I think it was in the, one of the Sunday talk shows where he said he wouldn't. It would surprise them if Biden like dropped out, but it also wouldn't surprise them. Like, is he is he that person making the rounds? Or I think he said, else? yeah, he was on Meet the Press, and then Chuck Todd was like, "So, do you think uh, Biden's going to run again?" And he said something like, "I would be shocked, but I wouldn't be surprised." Like okay. he formulated it in a slightly silly way. Yeah, but like uh, he, yeah, I think he he thinks it's something like a coin flip is another way that I've seen him formulate it elsewhere. Right. So uh, to to the to your question, I if there's another book that comes out later this fall or early next year, something else to kind of like lend further credence to this think to this this uh, this initial book, then I could maybe see this being an issue. But like if it's just like a one off or like there were issues and no one else kind of suggests the same, then I think this book will kind of come and go. But it just depends on, like, you know, like the first couple of years of the Trump years, I mean, it seemed like there was like a book like this every week. Like right. somebody was talking to somebody at all times and different factions. Right, but that wasn't remotely su- – it's never remotely surprising when a bunch of journalists write stories about a Republican administration and it says this is a – the White House is in disarray and there's dysfunction and there's a lot of infighting and, and all of this stuff going on in there. That's not surprising. What is surprising to some extent is when someone who ostensibly plays for the same team – 
as uh, the Democratic White House, which is not to say that Franklin Foer is incapable of independent thought or that he would himself believe himself to be aligned with uh, the Democrats rather than the Republicans or anything along those lines. But like this is a this is a dude who you don't necessarily expect to write the book that is this openly critical of or or honest about even uh, a White House like the Biden White House. And I think to some extent that's what that's what's interesting about it is just the fact that it exists and it's written by this guy and not somebody at like Fox's uh, – publishing imprint right i uh i i haven't obviously read the book but i i wonder do you think like this is like uh uh some of the insight that's coming out in this book like it's from like a specific faction within the biden administration that's trying to you know because like in, in the past like you would have like the the state department people are throwing under the bus the defense people you know like there's always like these weird conflicting groups where like right oh, and well with with ron Klain out of the white house it's not clear who's like what exactly is the inner circle of the Biden house look like? And the fact that Jill is always there and Hunter is always around, one wonders if this isn't in a in a sort of Nancy Reagan sort of situation. This is becoming an increasingly insular White House as Joe Biden deteriorates, if in fact that is what's happening in a more serious way than than we currently sort of can prove. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm – I haven't yet bought the book. I'm going to see if it's available on my Amazon thing before I bother buying it. Uh, but uh seems like an interesting read, uh, perhaps. Speaking of Washington goings-on, Congress returns to try to prevent a government shutdown while the GOP weighs an impeachment inquiry. I must say, Kevin McCarthy's tenure as Speaker of the House has been decidedly less crazy right. than I thought it was going to be, especially given how it started. He's done a pretty good job of keeping that fucking insane clown posse uh, caucus of his in line to this point. Uh, But it seems like he's now trying to avoid a government shutdown, uh, which is the and the the carrot that he's using to entice the House Republicans to do that is by offering them an impeachment inquiry. Being like, well, you can't shut down the government if you want to run an impeachment inquiry, eh? Eh, Marge? Right? You're with me on the not shutting down the government thing, right? So that we can uh, we can impeach the guy in the next couple of months. Uh, seems, seems bad. Seems like you're playing with fire a little bit there. But it would be better to go ahead and fund the government uh, if possible. Is uh, this... This impeachment that I keep on hearing about would it be focused on like Hunter Biden and whatever connection they can try to to link to the president? Because it seems like if it's just yes, the it president- would it would be entire. I would as I mean as more and more has come out about the Hunter Biden Joe Biden connection and like like it seems bad for the president. This is why I'm convinced that he's going to not be the president again next time, and also will have pardoned his son for his son's many crimes uh, before. Uh, this term is out. Yes, it is about the extent to which Joe Biden knew about or participated in Hunter's business dealings internationally, and then further to what extent they can prove that perhaps there was some financial that 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 he received financial benefit from the influence peddling that his son was doing. Which it's very clear that his son was at least peddling the appearance of influence. The right. appearance of being close to the oh, vice president. I, I imagine that he wouldn't actually have to do anything. I mean, he's Joe Biden's son, right? Like, so you'd almost 
wouldn't need to like point that out. Like I am the son of well, the, the way that president. the calls, the way that the calls are framed by the people who are talking about them and who were there or heard about them later, is like Hunter's sitting there and he's got the whoever from China or whoever from Ukraine on the phone. He's like, I'm here with my dad now. You know, my dad, the vice president of the United States. And Joe's like, oh, yeah, Hunter, how's it going? Yeah, this is my son. Isn't he great, everybody? Yeah, you should listen to old Hunt. Uh, and then he, he meanders off or what have you. And like... To what extent that is bad, uh, obviously politically it's not good, but uh, to what extent it's illegal or impeachable uh, seems to be an open question. And I think that to some extent Democrats have allowed the clownish nature of the Jim Jordans of the world to allow them to ignore this, which I think is actually – a fairly substantial story in a way that could do serious political, if not necessarily legal harm to Joe Biden, just in terms of if nothing else, if it if they're able to show conclusively or at least conclusively enough to enough Republican voters that Joe Biden just kind of seems like a corrupt asshole, right, who is allowing his son to trade on his name, uh, then, it, then again, it's offsetting penalties, right? Like, because for, for everything that you say about Donald Trump, uh, what a fucking dirtbag he is, and he acts like a mob boss all the time. If you can say effectively the same thing in a convincing way about Joe Biden, and also he's fucking senile on top of it, then it, it makes it a little bit easier for people to vote for the guy who was already president, who, yeah, was a fucking nightmare, and you don't want him to really be the president again. But the senile fucking uh, corrupt guy with the heroin addict son, uh, on the other hand, like, I don't know. Right, say what it, you will about Don Jr. Uh, at least he's straightforward about uh, what a fucking dirtbag he is, right? Right. So you, you know that 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 uh, that strategy would work if it were anyone other than Trump on the other side, right? Basically, anything that like you can point to, like basically it's like, oh, it's offsetting, right? And it seems like that's the this whole push for an impeachment. I mean, there's been some investigations, like in the Senate and the House, but. They they they're trying to find that connection, and it just seems like a lot of like it looks bad, but there's nothing that's like some sort of corrupt act. They can't seem to to find that. Maybe they're sitting on it. I don't know. Maybe they're waiting until they can show it in a impeachment hearing. Who knows? But the the major focus I would imagine for having an impeachment hearing is to pursue a offsetting penalty thing. Like look at that. Our guy was uh, impeached, and now their guy's impeached. But our guy is like a few years younger than him, and he's got more energy. And so, vote for him. Like to me, like those efforts could work if there was a new shiny person in the is GOP. Is there is there any validity to the Republicans pursuing this if what they're alleging is true? Is this a is this a valid thing to impeach a president over? Or is it just a response to the fact that uh, too many Republicans believe that it was an invalid impeachment in terms of – at least in terms of the first one, right? So most people are like, "Ah, all right, January 6th happened. We we probably at least see about an impeachment here because of that one even if we don't agree. But like the Ukraine thing, that was a perfect phone call. That was all made up bullshit. Uh, And so because you guys did that, uh, we have no choice but to – pick up the ball when it comes into our court and impeach him over nothing? Or is there something here that if if they can prove it, if they can prove that Joe Biden was uh, 
financially benefiting from his son doing influence peddling on the family name. Uh, is that an impeachable offense? If if you can tie directly by, uh, Joe Biden, then yes. But if it's just some something like his kid did, and he's just kind of like, ah, my dad is over there. Like it has to be more than just like some very tenuous like connect. Like there's got to be like some sort of involvement because Hunter Biden is not president, right? So what he his conduct right. is separate from what his old man does, right? So like yeah, if there's some, to, something connecting directly, then yes. But otherwise, sure. it's just I th- to I'm not appearance. sure. That if it's just the appearance of impropriety and Joe Biden was just stupid and he kept taking his fucking dirtbag son on Air Force Two right. to go visit foreign countries when he was the vice president and allowing him to go out and make all these business acquaintances and to receive all of this money for nothing. He's, right. a, he's a nothing person. He's a, he's a total fucking worthless deadbeat of a right. grown man human being. Uh, and he's out here earning millions of dollars a year trading on his daddy's name. And it's just a failure of his dad to sort of step in and stop being such a uh, an enabler of his son's stupid fucking lifestyle uh then yeah that's not that's just uh personal moral failings and 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 uh personal malpractice uh but but yeah if you can prove that joe biden was getting kickbacks off of these deals in some way then yeah i think that's a, a fully rational thing to pursue in terms of uh impeaching the guy right and i think that's something that i mean at least Maybe I mean I wouldn't be you know not, what would that guy say I would I would be I would be shocked but not surprised or whatever but like it would be shocking like if a politician that's been at this for like fifty years would so clumsily go about doing something right like if there was something to be done it'd be a little more sophisticated so like this smoking gun that's being pursued that like there's some there's gonna be some evidence saying like I'm Joe Biden and I approve this uh, criminal activity like there's not gonna be that. So it's like, yeah, it'll be largely circumstantial stuff, I imagine, because right. it's not just Hunter. It's also his brother. And then you like, well, this is a family. This is a very close knit family. And everything this guy does, he tells his daddy about and he tells his brother about. And right. Who knows? Anyway, uh, First Lady Jill Biden tests positive for COVID-19, but President Biden's results are negative so far. Uh, Jill's got the, the coronavirus. Uh, Roan is making a bit of a comeback here, as yeah. we uh, mentioned uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. That we were seeing a bump. The bump is continuing. Uh, Jill had this last year, I think, or maybe even earlier this year. Yeah, she's had it a couple of times, right? I mean, like, maybe this is, I mean, obviously, everybody's had it at least once, I'm sure, but like, or most people have. Uh, but I've seen her name in COVID at least twice or three times over the last like three years. Yeah, uh, I obviously wish Dr. Jill the absolute best in her uh, swift recovery. And it would be a tragedy if Joe got it and did not recover in the same way that he recovered last time. However, uh, get that out of the way. This is the sort of event, uh, the, the, the deus ex machina event, that could allow us to escape the what seems like the inevitability of a Biden-Trump rematch. Oh. This is what we we need. The heart attacks. We need the strokes. <laughs> we need the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, the actuarial tables to oh, come okay. into play and and solve. And so Nikki Haley wants, wants uh, mental acuity tests. I just want the actuarial tables to come into play and allow us to be done with the morbidly obese uh, Donald Trump, uh, who should be long dead by now, and the and the drifting into senility 
uh, Joe Biden, uh, if it takes uh, the coronavirus or it takes a stroke or whatever it takes, bring on the deus ex machina uh, health events, please, because it's the only way out. Although I, w- I will say like that would create more chaos, right? It, would, it wouldn't be uh, – things wouldn't settle down if like some virus took out like the top two contenders. I don't know. I would feel much more settled. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I completely disagree. Uh, things would, would be so be much like, better. There's just like a lot of like people that were like not ready for prime time. Like get like oh, I'm gonna do A, B, and C. I'm gonna go bomb Mexico. Yeah, it still would be better than <laughs> <laughs> than Biden Trump. Uh, this is from a. a Op-ed in the New York Times, it's not pro-life to oppose a program that has saved 25 million lives. That's a compelling headline. I wasn't sure what it was talking about. But what it's talking about is PEPFAR. And PEPFAR is the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, which was signed into uh, law in 2003 by because it was 2003, then-President George W. Bush as a multi-billion dollar initiative to combat the HIV pandemic largely uh, elsewhere, not in the United States, but instead uh, this is with a focus on sending money and resources to I think some 50 or maybe 150, I don't know, uh, a whole bunch of other countries, but largely focused on solving or mitigating the problem in Africa. That was like the, the best thing Bush did. Yes, that's what I was thinking about today was all of the other things that you think about in terms of a positive thing from the Bush presidency end up being maybe not so positive uh, in the on the longer run. But this one, like, it's hard to figure out how this is a fuck-up. So you go and, and, and I was reminding myself of, because I remember there being some criticism of this in years past. And I'll uh, be honest with you, I, I couldn't remember exactly what it was. I looked it up. And it's that there were some requirements in the initial bill that uh, some amount of abstinence training had to go in, like was was like hooked into this money and this and these medicines in terms of like getting this program distributed around the world. You had to also be like, hey, and uh, uh, don't fuck like, hey, we're going to give you the medicine and we're going to we're going to we're going to stop AIDS from killing you. uh, But also we're going to give you a lecture about how it's better to not fuck. And so people were like, ah, we don't know about this, uh, trying to do the moralizing on top of just the good work. But like, it was still good work. Even at that point, it was just really good. And it was uh, arguably the most important thing uh, in terms of a positive thing to come out of the entire uh, Bush years, right? I mean, it the numbers are what the numbers are. They believe that they've saved some 25 million lives. They've made uh, living with HIV in Africa a thing, whereas before people simply died because they got HIV. And that was something that we did. That's something that America fucking did. Right. We did it with money and we did it with resources and it was good. And now apparently it's not good enough because the fucking Heritage Foundation and uh, some of those who listen to the Heritage Foundation have been insisting uh, they've created this meme that PEPFAR is actually just encouraging abortions all around the world, even though what? there's no there's no evidence that any abortion happens because of the PEPFAR program, uh, according to this op-ed anyway. And 
Uh, it's not clear what exactly the Heritage Foundation was basing their conclusions on, but they've decided that this is a sort of government largesse that is not acceptable, uh, despite it having done undeniable good out there in the world uh, over the last uh, 20 years since it was first passed. And this is just like, it's such a fucking bummer. Like <laughs> The only way to respond to it is that the conservatives are going to try to take all of the teeth out of this demonstrably good thing that they did 20 years ago. The only good thing that you can say, uh, the only absolute positive to come out of the Bush years, and they're going to be like, nope, not anymore. Right. I mean, what was it? Uh, no child left behind? That kind of didn't pan out as uh, well as they had hoped. Uh, the Medicare Part D thing, uh, also not such a great idea. Like, But this one... Spectacular success. I can't believe anyone is like uh, finding fault over like some ridiculous reason. Like, and like, are you not in it just to help when you can help? Like, why are you adding these things? Like, you're imagining things happening. You're trying to prevent something that hasn't happened from happening. It's just like there's a there's a need. You can fulfill that need. Just do it. If you can help, just help. Just keep it that simple. Yeah, this is from the article. The debate over PEPFAR kicked off in May when the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, published a report that, without any substantiation, accused PEPFAR of promoting abortion. The same report callously referred to HIV as a lifestyle disease and framed antiretroviral therapy as a partisan talking point. In doing so, it flouted not only consensus on how to end AIDS, but also the Christian teaching that everyone deserves dignity and compassion. In the wake of the Heritage report, some prominent anti-abortion and conservative groups have said they will give negative ratings to elected officials who vote to reauthor- reauthorize the program in its current iteration. Hopefully, uh, this doesn't amount to anything in the long run, but right. it's it's a bummer that it uh, has come up at all. Uh, there's another headline here from the AP that says, Endangered red wolves need space to stay wild, but there's another predator in the way, humans. I'm not going to read this article. I don't care. Uh, I'm sure the red wolves are really cool and awesome, and I'm sure that uh, somehow or another they work climate change into this discussion about the endangered red wolves, and I'm sure it's all very much a bummer. But it reminds me of... Uh, uh, Butch Jones, who's the head coach at Arkansas at Arkansas State. What happened to this guy? Wasn't he the Tennessee head coach? He, yeah, he was, and he sucked, and I hated him. And I really hate when people that I hate make me feel bad for them. Oh, yes, the worst. It's oh. like no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to feel bad for this guy. I he's, do. He's that fucking because he's crying because his team is losing seventy three to nothing against <laughs> what would Oklahoma. You do? Bob, what would you would do? Would I cry as the coach? No, I would not cry. Not in oh public my god! Anyway, you wouldn't I don't... sleep for a fucking month. Yeah, I wouldn't sleep, but I wouldn't be out there fucking crying. Oh my god! Anyway, I think that the Arkansas Arkansas State is the Red Wolves. I believe it's just what the, oh, rem- interesting. Reminds me of that. I'm gonna play. This is a, just a very brief seven seconds from his press conference after uh, that loss to Oklahoma, seventy-three to nothing was the final score. This is Butch Jones, who yeah, he coached at Tennessee. And I think he was the guy who wrote the really yep. hilarious slogans on the locker yep. room wall, yep. which yep. I can't remember any of now. And I it remember was like, I was trying to track them down online. Hard. Yeah, they were very bad. They were like just pure trash. And yeah, he's an annoying guy. But uh, here he is after the loss. You have to 
not lose the game before you can ever win the game. You have to not lose the game before you can ever win the game. You have to, Abe, you have to not lose the game before you can ever win the game, which of course puts me in mind of the great Trent Dilfer, who said something uh, very similar. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. My favorite part about this Trent Dilfer video is you have to imagine, first of all, he's holding a pen and pounding it on the table for emphasis. And his colleague, uh, Tom Jackson there, is taking him 100% seriously. He's taking all this information in. He's taking it in so that he's really going to internalize this so he doesn't forget. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. (laughs) Abe, you cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. Or is he saying that you can not lose, cannot lose? I don't think you can clean this up, Lori. I disagree. I don't think you can clean that up. These are two different things. One is saying you can't lose games and still win. And the other one is saying you can lose games and still win. Yeah, There's two slightly the different emphasis. meanings. Yeah. Also, couldn't he be – I mean this Trent Delfa fellow could also mean you can play not to lose. You can play scared and still win. Maybe he was getting at that. Butch Jones, you have to not lose the game before you can ever win the game. In this same press conference, he talks about – uh, you know how we obviously weren't prepared for this, and he proceeds to like go on a two-minute-long rant where he like calls out specific, not necessarily specific players, but he calls out specific positions that failed to do their jobs today, in en route to a seventy-three to nothing loss, as though somehow like the Mike linebacker could have presumed, could have prevented this hysterical embarrassment that took place. I did not know that he was the head coach of that team, but I, I recall it was just the TV was on, and I would look, and, like, the score would be one thing, and then I would look away, and then, like, like five minutes later, it's, like, 21 points higher. It's, like, Oklahoma just scoring at will, and I'm like, oh, that was poor, the other team. I did not know that this former University of Tennessee head coach was the head coach of this Arkansas whatever Boy, what a he's like fi- he's like five and twenty one there or something wow. too. It is it has not gone well. Uh, somehow though, uh, Butch Jones is not the single most detestable college football coach. Oh, you can't you fr- can't possibly to, to get in front of a microphone this you weekend. Can't possibly have any problem with Coach Prime, Bob? Like the first of all, coach ever. you are not to ca- you are not to call don't, him. That. Don't ruin it. I'm enjoying being happy for someone by not listening to him. Uh, <laughs> what a game! I mean, he's entertaining. You can't deny him that. Look, tremendous game. There's certainly no getting around the fact Very that it was 12. an awesome game. Just everybody scoring. But Deion Sanders is among my least like he's, he is exactly actually a perfect a perfect personification of my least favorite type of religious person. Like and it's and it's a yeah. it's a uniquely at least in my experience, a uniquely American sort of uh uh, type of religiosity in which only great things happen to me because God loves me, because God shows me his favor. This is someone with unspeakable physical gifts, right? This, oh, yeah. this is someone, someone who was born into a body that 
I'm sure that he worked hard. I'm not denying that Deion Sanders uh, was a hard worker in his day uh, when he was playing uh, multiple sports, at times playing two ways for his football teams, uh, both uh, catching the occasional pass and also as a defensive back. Uh, certainly, uh, that requires a great deal of uh, willpower and and stick-to-itiveness and, and brain power, too, I'm sure. But also, must be noted, born into incredible physical circumstances. Because God, to- uh, you know— Picked him. He's the chosen. Right, right. As, though, as though ordained by the, by the Lord above. Uh, is Deion Sanders sincere in his religiosity? And I, I, I say this as someone who only has experienced Deion Sanders the way that 99% of all of us have experienced Deion Sanders, which is just to listen to him talk about the ways in which God has smiled upon him uh, be, because of his faith and because Deion Sanders is so awesome that how could the good Lord do anything but smile upon him? Uh, do you think he's sincere in the the way that he professes his belief in the sort of the God of the prosperity gospel? Uh shining upon him right I, I do think that he believes it i this uh like this is a recurring thing i don't think dion uh sanders like created this but this is this feels like a a variant of that prosperity gospel thing where like good things are happening to me because god favors me or whatever like there's always some sort of like scheme where like god is actually siding with you and the success that you have it's because of God. Although, like, some online person uh, made this point. It's like, so God is favoring Deion Sanders against Texas Christian University? Like, you would think right. that he would have some interest in letting those people win also, especially after the clobbering they received last time uh, they played football. But, like, I think he believes it. And, and like, what's, what's odd is, like, you know, like, he is – Believing in this stuff, and then it just kind of sometimes happens. So, like you know, the 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 survivors bias or the people right. confirmation six, bias. Yeah, basically, it, it it further confirms what he believes, right? So he's like, I'm gonna do this thing where I'm gonna go from Jackson State, go to a big time program that has not been playing very well, uh, and turn that program around in one year. Like I think I saw somewhere where eighty percent of the uh, players on last year's team are no longer with the team this year. So the overhaul where they brought in so many people, so many transfers, including his his son, who apparently is good at playing quarterback, at least against TCU, uh, brought him into the fold. So like, I wonder if this is going to set this unrealistic precedent where other programs are like, why can't you give us a Dion special? Like, You should be able to not turn things around in four years but rather one or maybe two years, right? Because he's able to turn a program around in one offseason. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, they, they won right. one First game of all, last year. They they beat TCU. Yeah. Let's not say, that, not, we, let's wait, not say that, not, that we turn the program around way, just my yet. My favorite part of the uh, – the, the, because the, I watched the fourth quarter. I was like, oh, this game seems interesting on the on the scoreboard. Let me actually watch it. And they would go to uh, great pain to only mention that TCU was one of the two participants in the national title game. No one ever talked about the outcome of the national title game. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> not, not the Without outcome. their quarterback. Nor the fact that the quarterback is gone and, like, they're clearly going to be resetting this year anyway. <laughs> right. But it is still impressive. And they're, again, 
much better season than they had last year. Like they can't. Yeah, can't sure. So we also, lost to Colorado the, once. The, the deference, the deference shown him in constantly calling him by his Aflac name, that <laughs> by calling him Coach Prime instead of just like a constant reference to Coach. You did not hear. Coach Sanders or Deion Sanders. Right. Nobody knows at that. At all during that Coach broadcast. Prime. Gus Johnson is up there just slobbering all over the nickname. Oh, Coach Prime. Oh. That's what Aaron Murray was doing to it's Mike Bobo. Not okay. so. the, uh, Colorado, Colorado is ranked 22, apparently. Uh, they played TCU and won. They're going to beat Nebraska. They're going to beat Colorado State. But then they have to play Oregon and USC. I don't know anything about Arizona State this year. I presume they're probably not too good. Uh, Stanford, I don't know. But there's You know like, the ACC school, Stanford. they got to play Stanford <laughs> and then UCLA and Oregon State and Arizona. I'm sure one of the two Arizona schools must be halfway decent. Right, they'll definitely uh, be in the, in the playoffs at this point, right? I mean, look at them. And they're then Utah. No, game. they're going to lose like five of those <laughs> so, games. This you know program this up- is not destined for the playoffs. This upcoming week, you know, last week there weren't that many – there weren't too many good college football games. Are but there this any good, upcoming this Texas- weekend – uh, Texas plays Alabama, and the yeah. the tickets for that is overshadowed by the tickets for Colorado and Nebraska. I mean, just the sizzle that this Coach Prime has, Bob. You can't really understand. I don't think that He's a, Texas he is, is a detestable be okay. human being. Don't and show I, me. I do not understand. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be so good this whole year. Forty-five, forty-two. Shadour Sanders. Takes a knee, and how about this? Prime time. Dion wins his first one on the road against a team that played in the national championship one year ago. 45-42. Colorado. And our Jenny Taft is down with Coach Prime. Coach Prime. It doesn't get much better than this. You said all along, we come in. This team is here. And wow, did you impress. How proud are you? Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful right now. My son, man. My pop right here. My son, my other son. Man, I'm loving these kids. Rick George for giving me this opportunity, man. This is a blessing. Everybody, Buff Nation, who supported us in all the hood that had my back. I thank y'all. God, this is good. What can you tell me about your defense and the way they came up huge with that stop to get this win? They surrendered some big plays throughout the game, and we all we kept teaching was we just needed one stop, one stop. But what about the offense? How did they respond? How did these guys respond? I don't know how many snaps he played, but we're going to put a hot tub on the plane for him to make sure he's straight. Hey, we're excited because we are heading to visit your home next week, Folsom Field. What is your message to the fans of what we can expect from Colorado? We told you we're coming. We told you we're coming. You thought we were choking. And guess what? We keep receipts. God bless you, America. Ooh, God is good. <laughs> before before the kids talk, we coming, we coming, and we keep receipts. We keep receipts. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a, a fucking weird Christian conservative here. But is there a less Christian way of approaching the world? Than to insist we keep receipts. Oh, probably God, not. God bless, but God bless you, America. Brand. We keep receipts. The uh, the the great thing, the great thing about uh, 
at least from an outsider's point of view, like the great thing about Christianity was always like uh, it's very flexible to your liking, and so like yep. this is one version of that because like this is usually his it doesn't work this way, where you could just say <laughs> we're keeping receipts and praise the Lord. Like those are in conflict of one another usually, but. Hallelujah. Tell me about your dad, about playing for him, and what you guys just accomplished today, Shiloh. Just like he said, we just believe everything he taught us. We went out there and executed everything he's telling us. Every day in practice, he put us in those situations in practice, and we've been able to practice and critique that. And so now we just show the fans what we got. Shador, you set records today, over 500 yards. I mean, you made it look easy, and you told me you were ready to capitalize on this moment. How would you describe it? Man, it's a real feeling because we knew it the whole time. I'm practicing against the best corner in the world. You know, so my margin of error, error versus him is very small. I can't, I can't miss too far inside, too far outside because he's going to make a play. But it's just like nobody believed in us, man, and it, it just showed me a lot about how people is. And they let names and they let power five and stuff get to their head. I think this is the highest passing yards I had in my life. I was just at HBCU, you know what I mean? So they didn't believe it, bro. They, they didn't believe it, you know what I mean? God did, you know what I'm saying? Travis, you said you were going to follow Coach Prime wherever he was going to go. By the way, All right. that is I'm such sure they're, a great... they're lovely and joyful human beings, but they, Jesus Christ. They need to put that on a shirt. They didn't believe us, God did. <laughs> I'm sure it's on a shirt. I'm sure it's there already. The Game combination. Fame, though. There's That's something right. so <laughs> offensive to me about the combination of superior physical gifts and <laughs> the professed providential belief on top of the classic American huckster vibe that all of these guys have. God that, gave them that those rubs me exactly gifts. the wrong way. <laughs> it is I mean if 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 everything came easy like that, more people would believe in God, right? Like why? Look at this. Life is great. I don't, I don't know. More people more is. people believed in God back when it came harder. When yeah. everything was fucking miserable and awful. All of the uh, everyone was know, like the only possible world. explanation for this is that there's some asshole up there uh Smiting me. punishing us all constantly. <laughs> I'd rather watch a sad dabbo. Is there do you have a clip of that available? I haven't seen I woke up, didn't think much of it, and one of my stupid phone alerts was like Duke fucked yeah clemson and i was like oh good and then i remembered you know, know we fairy. could we could do this cold because i uh i haven't watched this either let's uh let's do that there's nothing better than dabbo i that's the thing like i i'm ready for it but r- rough day. day for uh the state of south carolina going up against north carolina like south the gamecocks lost and then clemson lost they're both shitty places that's honestly all my years of football I've never been a part of a game like that, ever. Um, and been here at Clemson a long time. Since I've been the head coach, we were 58-0 when we rushed for 200 and passed for 200. Uh, that's usually a pretty good indicator. And I think in, in Clemson history, we were 108-0. Never lost, ever. Uh, so, you know, but you got to finish. You got to finish, and, and obviously we we did not do that. Can't help but notice that Dabo's usual effusive praise for the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't show up in this particular press conference. Uh, I guess I guess they just didn't. Uh, he's saying all these offensive stats. I guess they just couldn't get the ball in the end zone. Yes. No, that, they they couldn't. That's too bad, Dabo. God loves only winners. We, can we talk about the Florida thing? Are what, we done? What Florida thing? What do you want to talk about? The one we are we done? Are you going to say you've been listening, oh. or do you have another thing to talk about? Um, because it's I really it should 
we could go to bed. Yeah, it would we be call really it early nice. tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey, have you got anything else on the news front this week? Anything happen? Not quite. We haven't talked about the uh, conference realignment nonsense. I guess that deserves a oh yeah a closer look. We sort of just did. Fucking. I mentioned that Stanford was on the Atlantic coast. Right. The Pac-12, I guess, isn't going to exist anymore in any like. It's hard to imagine what it would look like now that Stanford and UCLA and who else. Well, well, SMU, not UCLA, but they're, they're not, you, they're, they're, they came from somewhere else, right? SMU? Right. Yeah, I don't know. It 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 is ten, tr- it is tending towards uh, the super conference idea that I had laid out many years ago, which is that there should just be four super conferences, and then also there should be relegation, uh, <laughs> which would be... Which would be fun, I think. What's relegation? In obvious ways. Where you oh, you have 48... Yeah. Yeah, you have like 48 teams in Division One, and it's it's four 12-team conferences, and fucking Ole Miss could fucking lose out on being in Division One if they're not... Like, you, you relegate the last four teams yeah. to Division Two, and, and then, then elevate... From the right. division move up, yeah. Which would be uh, a great deal of fun. I think that ultimately... And I, I, the problem, of course, is that all of these conferences have their own separate TV deals, and they're all staggered, right? Yeah. So some of them go until 2028, and then 2031, and 2035, and then the ACC will probably attempt to renegotiate their package at some point here pretty soon because they've got the influx of new teams. Uh, but it's going to have to be a, a sort of dissolution of the conferences as we know them into – uh, Premier League of sorts into right. a sort of uh, a national top 40 or top 50 teams that all compete for the same prize every season. And then there's everything else, right? And then there's all the rest of the of the football that happens that's, that's not related. And in order to do that, you just need to cleave football off from the other sports. There's uh, – I don't know how you figure that out with Title IX. I don't know how you figure that out just in terms of – uh, the revenue and and how they because uh, a lot of these football programs help fund a big pile of the other sports at their schools, but uh, I think inevitably what's going to happen is is some sort of Premier League style thing where the conferences are conferences in name only and they all subsist under one national uh, organization. I, I suspect what will happen instead because because they want to preserve the brand names that such as they exist now they're going to overlay whatever that, that comes next with what already is. So, like, I think the trend, the end game seems to be not four big conferences, but two big conferences. Like, the Big Ten is going to get bigger, and then the right, SEC Right, because, like, nobody fucking cares about the ACC. Right. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, the in terms of football, nobody cares about the ACC. That's not a brand of any consequence whatsoever. Right, so you had five conferences, right? And so, like, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, whatever happened with them, they'll be basically relegated to the mid-majors. They're not going to be the major conferences, those two. And the ACC, it all depends on what happens to Clemson, FSU, and then Notre Dame. Is Notre Dame going to remain independent, or are they going to, if they jump in No, they're the also ACC? on the Atlantic coast. Right. So. So, right, but I think all of those... All of those geographical distinctions seem to no longer matter, right? It's just like whatever. Like, but they're going to keep the names, even though the SEC is going to exist. They're not going to 
be shy by recruiting some team that can bring in money that's outside of that region. But it just seems like the two big conferences will be the SEC and the uh, Big Ten, and those two conferences can balloon to 20 each. So you'll have 40 teams in, in those two big conferences, and the 12-team playoffs – a lot of them will come from those two conferences, but also like if a team does well in one of the mid-majors, quote-unquote, just like in college basketball, they will get in also in the playoff format. So like I think – Well, but this becomes a this becomes a rich getting richer, poor yes. getting poorer situation right. too, right? But that's right? how it's been forever. Right. Well, so, right, but so at, at some point, do the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world and the Michigans and the Ohio States of the world start complaining about the fact that fucking Vanderbilt and fucking Iowa State or whatever are continuing to profit off the success of these other programs. Like Georgia has splits an equal pie yes. uh, with uh, in terms of TV money uh, from the SEC because of their the way that those revenue sharing agreements have been reached in the past, right? And that, that obviously doesn't seem fair to a Georgia program that has played in like uh, – I forget who was maybe Pat Forty or just somebody at the the Athletic talking about how the only games that matter to TV people are the games that bring in more than four million viewers. Like four million four million people is the number that they're looking for in terms of uh, a national audience. And like if you can't draw four million people to watch your football game, then it doesn't fucking matter. And like Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama, they've all got like dozens of these four million dollar or four million viewer games over the last decade and these other teams only show up there when they're playing one of those teams right right so. I, I do i do wonder though if there's you know obviously there is the risk some some people will get greedy enough to where like let's try to do like a super league like they tried to do with soccer in europe where they just had the best of the best be in their own group so they can just keep all the money to themselves right why chop it up with a vanderbilt when you can just keep it up uh, all to yourself, but the risk with that would be like you have a pool of viewers, right? Like you know, so if, as long as the you know Iowa is still there, those Iowa fans will continue watching. Nebraska, even though that that team sucks, they're still watching. But if you just get it to like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, just like the same teams that have been in the the playoffs, and make it so that those are the only teams that ever make it, all of the other fan bases will just kind of wither away. And so you want to keep the ecosystem to such that people are still watching. There's still some... Right. To, to what to what extent is the college football audience just a parochial audience that only cares about their team uh, versus uh, a true national audience? Uh, it's certainly not the same size as, as the NFL has. As, as my own daughter says, what she doesn't like about football season as opposed to baseball season is that uh, at least during baseball season, we only watch Braves games. We don't watch random baseball games. But during football season, we watch just the most random that football is true, games. Right? <laughs> I think that's it's a because I like football. Right. And there's only really so I, few games. Baseball's fine. Right. But like, I, there's. And yeah, there are so many football games. She was right to complain about it this weekend because there were just trash games on. And, and I just barely kept, watched we any just football this them. weekend. Ah, just fucking put the football on. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? But, like, you know, most Saturdays, there's a good game on yeah. at some point in the day. Yeah. Even that LSU-Florida State game, which was fun in the first half, and, like, I was excited to continue watching it, like, halfway through the fourth quarter. It's like, what are we doing? Let's do literally anything else. This is stupid. Yeah, well, we gave it a chance to be interesting, and then it wasn't. Yeah. 
Uh, is the NFL going to be any good this year, Abe? Abe, last year you made uh, as we are a week out now. Right, we're in we're in week one of the NFL. That's right. Yeah, you made the bold prediction that uh, Jonathan Taylor would lead the Indianapolis Colts to glory and the Super Bowl. Uh, that didn't happen because he got hurt and now doesn't want to play for the Colts any longer <laughs> uh, and, is in, and is demanding a trade. Uh, I scooped him up in my uh, fantasy football oh. draft in, with late because he he had fallen. Like, this is a guy who is a number one running back, like a top five in the league sort of running back, uh, despite the injury last year, but who fell to like into the like the 70th or the 80th pick it's just taunting me at the top of the board pick after pick i was like you know what fuck it i'm drafting him he can't play for at least a month but maybe he gets traded to the packers or the cowboys or something and we and he and he helps win me my league uh, but nobody cares about fantasy football they want to hear what abe's bold predictions are for the 2023-2024 season abe uh, who you got so i think uh you know the you know, at the very, very, very top, like you seem to have like more of the same. Like the Eagles and the Chiefs are two the, the the two best teams on either side, and it seems like all signs point to that happening again. But I'm interested to see lower down, like how some other teams do. Like I expect that my Colts are going to suck very much, and they're likely going to be angling for like the second or third overall pick next year. And Marvin Harrison's kid is going to be eligible next year. So bring him into the fold. The Super Bowl window could begin after him. Uh, so it'll be a fun, disastrous season for the Coles. I'm looking forward to just seeing how the uh, Aaron Rodgers experiment uh, goes. I suspect it's not going to go well because nothing good happens to Jets fans. Nothing good happens to the Jets, but at the same time, I can't think of a time in my memory. I mean, I'm sh- it happened, I think, when I was a teenager. But I can't really remember when I went into a season thinking, oh, wow, the Jets are going to be markedly better than the Giants. And there's not there's not too much of a question about that. Like maybe the Giants are fun again because uh, Dayball uh, knows what he's doing. And Daniel Jones plays way above his head for a little bit. And uh, Saquon does Saquon things. And the defense is good. And they win some games. Right. But like the, they're not doing things. There aren't expectations that the Giants are going to win the division or anything like that. Uh, the well, Jets yeah, like might... Right, maybe, but the Jets are going to be good. Like Supposed the Jets might be, actually, yeah. they have a great defense, and they maybe have a have figured out their offensive issues. And it's weird. The Jets have never been better than the Giants. There's and, a good video on YouTube and probably other places with all of the Georgia players on the Eagles oh. just hanging out all together. Gross. Like all, it's great. <laughs> nope, nope. They're Eagles now. Uh, Abe, you're right. The Indianapolis Colts are plus 10,000 to win the Super Bowl, uh, according to FanDuel, which means that you could place a $5 bet and win uh, $500. So you could you know, bet 10 bucks and win 1000 What happens if you bet $1? Uh, you'd win $100. You $5 could, wins you 500 You could also so, yeah. take that 10 and $1 and just flush it down the toilet. It'll be just as good. Yeah. That's Not true. Winning it this year. Uh, favorites this year, as you suggested, the Chiefs at plus 600 and the Eagles at plus 800. I'm trying to find a value bet here. There really is uh, no one that's that good outside of the Eagles in the NFC. Like, you know, the Detroit Lions are getting some 
some sort of hype for being a good team this year. They're, they're opening up against the Chiefs, actually, on Thursday. I will remind those uh, doing the hyping that Jared Goff is still the quarterback <laughs> of the Detroit Lions, yes. last I checked, right? Did that change, or is it still Jared yes. Goff? Some people think highly of Jared Goff. No, no, Jared Goff, Abe. Yes. You must, be, you must have misheard me. That bum that the Rams got rid of so they can win a title. Yes, that Jared Goff. I'm again tempted by the Los Angeles Chargers because I really like that Justin Herbert guy. Maybe that's just your thing. Maybe I'm just really into Justin Herbert, but he's uh, plus 2,100. So uh, a $10 bet wins you $210. Ugh. If you're going to throw your money away, you should uh, bet on the Dolphins. They're clearly going to come out of the Just get a job. The Dolphins actually... uh, they might be improved also, right? Isn't that, isn't that what they're as saying about the Dolphins? As long as the Tua guy does something about head is injuries. Is he still playing? Where he gets tackled to the ground and his he head shouldn't. bubbles. Yeah. But apparently he sorted it out like he's on the up and up. How about the no. Broncos at plus 4,500? Let Russ cook. Russell Wilson, <laughs> is there, another detestable human being. Uh, oh, I don't, does, uh, he's, just does, un, he's not likable, but he's not detestable. Does uh, Sean Payton have... An Urban Meyer in Jacksonville season in him? Like, you think he's going to try to be like rah, 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 and then like it backfires? Because it sounds like either it works well or it falls apart immediately with them. That's a good value, too, at plus 2,800 if you believe in in that team. Which uh, most people don't. Yeah, I don't know. All right. If Matthew Stafford goes down in week one, I'm jumping right on the Rams, though. That's that's all I you know, know the, for sure. The, the Rams are carrying no one other than just the two Georgia players, right? So, like, yeah. is right there. Just any injury or if they're trying to tank, you know, if the season starts off wobbly, like, hey, fuck it. Let's some, call it some Georgia Some Georgia Bulldogs Facebook page posted that, like, unaffiliated, right? Like, just some fan page run by some fucking dorks. Uh, they posted an update that's when Stetson Bennett made the 53-man roster. He's like, Stetson Bennett has made the 53-man roster for the Los Angeles Rams. And and rather than everyone uh, laughing and deriding uh, this, I mean, obviously you have to know your audience, I suppose. Yeah. But there were thousands of comments below it. Just like, that's my quarterback. They didn't believe in you, but we did, Stetson. And like just loving on Stetson Bennett. I swear People love that story. Any story of like they didn't whatever. That's why uh, you know the, the, the you're poo pooing. But this coach prime, this uh, sent by the Lord. Uh, the people st- love those stories. The, the st- Stetson Bennett story is one of the greatest stories. The story is great. The quarterback sucks. <laughs> it. We'll see. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com for a show note. Although, once again, it occurs to me that I did not complete the show note last week for last week's uh, highly enjoyable show. Abe, you need to bring more grocery store slash mayo (laughs) content to the opening. I listened back to the show. Great times. Uh, I'm disappointed that many, many millions of people didn't. You decide to talk about boring shit. Didn't hear it. Head on over to tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Abe, things have gotten a little bit silly around here. Baseball season is upon us once again. We have fall ball that has started up. We've got a, a new team going. We've got the soccer starting up. At some point. We don't know. We don't know when, in theory, soccer is going to start. 
Uh, we got ballet. We've got swimming. We've got other ballet that's going to be uh, coming Maybe. in here. Katie's doing a, a, a running thing after school twice a week as well. We're, we're fucking packed to the gills with shit to do. I have like the hardest college class ever. Lori's taking a hard college class. Uh, it's it's just it's so hard. Busy all around here. So I didn't make it to the movies this week. Uh, but did you? I did. I uh, I went to go see the third installment of the Equalizer movie franchise with Denzel. I forgot. Even though you told me just a week ago that the Equalizer three was coming out, is I it completely equalized? forgot. <laughs> Apparently, it... he's not too good at his job because he's had to come back a third time. Uh, what is the? I, I cannot remember if I've seen any of the Equalizer movies. This is not. The character that Denzel played uh, with, like, Dakota Fanning, like the little girl. John yeah. Q? It's not that one. Man on Fire? Right. That's the Man, Man on, on Fire. Fire one. This is also not the Book of Eli Denzel, where he's, like, the angry preacher man who has to do... What is what is the equalizer? What is his task? What is the... So, basically, he, you know, he finds himself in these situations where somebody, like a victim, like it could be multiple people, it could be one person, some evildoer is causing harm to this innocent, and he equal, levels the playing field with a mm. skill of, like, punching and shooting and stabbing, right? So, he, he you know, like the, the money, the, 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 the spread on a game, like he's the... <laughs> Bread to level. He's the house. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, he's the yes. So, you know, I've already forgotten how the uh, first and second uh, one. Uh, sorry, went. I'm still confused. In whose employ? Like to just so as a, as a, is he a vigilante which... equalizer. He just goes around finding uh, disparities of power and equalizing them. Someone with a better memory would know the answer to this, but. Gotcha. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe they left it vague for a reason, like his past. He was some sort of, you know, like CIA, you know, one of those like outfits that knows how to kill people with ease. Uh, but they don't really get it. At least I don't remember. But this third one, he's like in, he's doing a job like killing somebody because, oh, he's, somebody stole somebody's retirement money and he's trying to retrieve that. And he stumbled into like this big drug operation. And he's like, oh, shit, it's a lot of involvement. And he brings the girl from Man on Fire, and now she's like an adult, and she's like in the CIA or something. Wait a second. And, uh, Wait a second. D- Dakota Fanning? Yeah. Or Dakota the, Fanning or the is character? Like, like some, the, the, the actress, but the yeah, the character is somebody else. But the actress who played Man on Fire, the girl, gotcha. is now in this movie as some analyst for some government agency. And they do a lot of the legwork. But basically, Denzel is just like, He's kind of reached the uh, Liam Neeson phase where it's like no longer plausible that he's able to uh, physically impose himself on these other people, much younger, much stronger types, you know. But you kind of have to like set that aside and just believe that he's able to quickly kill like four men because of his skills. Did 11 year old Dakota Fanning have such a good time making Man on Fire that they were like, we've got to, we got to do this again someday? And now I'm sure that was a fun hang, you know. Uh, was it good? How was the movie? It was entertaining. I mean, you know, it was like when they shoot him up. So I was like, you know, Denzel's in it. It can't be that bad. It's not that good, but it's fine. Yeah, Denzel's pretty great. You watch him do all sorts of stupid shit and have he a perfectly is. fine time. Good. Did you uh, watch anything else? I uh, no. Just that football. That was the gist of my watching. So we watched uh, obviously a bunch of college football. 
Uh, well, yeah, I watched the sports, yes. We also watched the first two episodes of Netflix's... The Florida thing. Uh, swamp Kings. Oh, the swamp. Yes. It's not good. Oh, it's 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 no. awful. It's it's <laughs> it is and like it is we're a biased. purely punishing watch for me. And it's it's not just because we already hate them, right? It, right. I, it's I, not because I, I, even of if you that. Set that aside, yeah. I firmly yeah. believe that I can stand outside of myself and my bias uh, against these fucking Florida people enough to realize that I would hate this no matter the subject. Like it's right. it's just. It's not okay, and the fact that it's Tebow, and and it's exploitative. At it this does. Point. That was the word that I used when we were watching it the other night. It That's feels what I use. It's it the word like, I've been using for many years. It feels like they're exploiting Tim Tebow, like he's. Which again, I hate him. I don't want to feel sorry for him. That's cheating. The philosophers used to have carve outs for like you know. Obviously, we're not talking about. Uh, women or children or retards, right? Clearly, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about these important things. That is how I feel about watching Tim Tebow talk on the TV. Like, look, you could talk to anybody, but you don't talk to women and children and retards and and, and expect you're, to get. You should really be careful what you're expect, saying right now. I'm, I'm, to I'm, put on the internet, man. It, yeah, that's true. Especially you should with the, probably not with the PTO stuff. Look, uh, he's not bright, and he talks like someone who can't read. And I presume that he can read, but when he holds he that, he probably can read. When he holds that Bible, the first shot of this fucking piece of shit documentary, so called, is like <laughs> Tim Tebow walking into a sunset on a beach or a lake or something. At a pool, yeah. holding yeah. a holding a Bible or a pool, yeah, holding a, a large Bible, and he's thumbing through it. And my first thought was like. Are we sure that's the right the right side up? Because I'm not sure that he can actually read that. Yeah. He's holding that book and then goes goes on to talk like a person who cannot actually you know read. It might just be and like I'm not saying that okay, I'm not at all saying that like homeschooled people are not smart. However, Oh, he was not smart okay, and that okay, was why okay, they homeschooled okay, okay. him. And then it got worse. The way that like they used to have Amish people documentaries and like all of the people from these Amish communities, because their education was so, it was like you got to eighth grade and that was it. Because yeah. it was this, you know, small community. It's what they did. And I wonder if a large part of his just seeming illiterate is just not having a proper education. Although he went to college. Uh. Wow. Oh, Florida. No, college. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think Shadir Sanders or uh, or his? <laughs> do you think they're going to college? While Dion talks yeah. about college. we're gonna put a we're gonna put a hot tub on the plane. Whatever. Uh. The problem with this documentary is that the tone is completely wrong. The tone is so it's fucking off. It's just the roast, and like that's why I think that I can be unbiased and just say that this is cringy. And that's it, yeah. because they're in the second, maybe the first episode, like they lose a game and the talking heads are very like, I didn't know if we were ever going to come back from that. Yeah. And like, it's fine to have a guy say that, but the music that they place with it is like someone died, which yeah. like, yes, 
sometimes when you lose a game, it feels like someone died, but not in the regular season and not when you're not <laughs> supposed to be that good. Like, right. It, the, the doc, the tone is just so wrong. And it made me go like, I mean, it is just football, though. Like it, it's so misses the mark also, on how this is all supposed to feel. Why isn't Chris Leak there? Like Chris Leak. Yeah, that that is a weird absence, right? Like I wonder if he just didn't want to participate because he wasn't made to look good. Probably didn't have nice things to say. Yeah, because I don't think he had nice things to say about Urban and Tim Tebow. Almost certainly, that's why he's not there. Right. And like the 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 whispered sincerity of Tebow, like. Well, he, that's was, just how he talks. I know. And I know it's how he talks. He talks in fucking four-word sentences with the vocabulary of our he, dog upstairs. He doesn't want to do anything with his mouth yeah. that might hurt. So he talks very gently and makes sure not... <laughs> and it, it was third down and one... Yards to go, down. and coach. And I had to come in. Coach and thought throw the ball. that we could do oh. the jump pass, <laughs> and that if we did the jump pass, it would be good because we would score points. And when you score oh. points, God loves you, and you win games. We haven't gotten to the end though. We don't know how oh. it is. I couldn't watch anymore. Lori's like, yeah, we should watch I more of this Swamp King. I'm like, no, we can't do that. That would be terrible. What a horrible next fifty-three minutes you're condemning me to. I want to see it. <laughs> It's, it's so. I want to see Urban Meyer explain, uh, attempt to explain his like. Oh, then I had to quit because I had headaches, and then I started working again a year later. Like, I just, I want to see how they do that. It, it's pure propaganda. They're gonna do it in the most obvious way. Like, it's all very deferential to him. Like, he tells it the way he wants. The music is why is his chin so small. Why are they only talking to Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, and like three players? Why is yeah. that the only people that they're talking to throughout? There, there are a hundred and fucking ten well, people one of them on was this in team. Jail for a little for while, while and then died. Pete, so. for, he's not right for five years. There's a there's a hundred dudes on this team for five straight years, and you can only talk to like six dudes total. This is a piece and of shit production. Just the Aaron Hernandez, just the the scant mention of him. Like, oh yeah, he caught a ball for us once, and other things. These are bad people, and I don't like spending time with them, and they're stupid. I don't know why they're on the television, and I don't know why we continue well, to watch Well, the other option was guys' grocery games, so. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> you made the right choice. Uh, there could have been a good documentary yeah. about that era Florida team. That's the kind of the thing. It's like there, Well, ESPN would make that one. Right. right. With the proper music. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I trust anyone to get the right people in the room to make an honest documentary. Like, I don't think that you can get Tim Tebow to participate in something that he doesn't, that won't portray him in a certain kind of way. I don't know if you can get Urban Meyer to either. Yeah. And and again, what was it worth that trade? If you just made a more, a more compelling documentary and if they don't want to participate, that's fine. I mean, would no, yeah, like I don't, I don't see though. the worth in watching. I know you said last week it's worth watching, but I think that it's worth watching only for... Cringe. Uh, right, only as an analysis <laughs> yeah. of the ways in which it fails. Like, it's not... Like, it's it, only as in terms of the meta-analysis of the thing is this worth watching. Otherwise, it's it's just a total fucking piece of shit. And, like, there's a there, the, there's that one guy who's, like, a charming guy. I forget his name now as we're, as we're talking about it. But like that one defensive, the the middle linebacker before oh Brandon something or whatever, not Spikes, but the the guy who had another S name before him, 
Uh, but not what, a spurrier. But yeah, whatever. He was uh, an entertaining enough fella. Uh, and talks about like uh, beating up his teammates in the locker room because they didn't do the push-ups right or something like yes. that. Uh, <laughs> I will say the one moment of transcendent joy that I experienced uh, watching this, uh, these two hours of television that we've watched so far, is they're talking about uh, it being midnight on a Friday and how uh, nobody wants to go work out. Like, uh, but Urban Meyer, under the new Urban Meyer regime, you got to go to the to the gym and get a midnight workout in instead of going out uh, and hanging out at the bars or the frat houses with the Florida coeds. And they cut to a shot of Tim Tebow just smiling broadly, like an 18-year-old Tim Tebow, just the happiest you can possibly imagine him with, like, war paint on and shirts off. And he's like, oh, dudes, we're in the locker room on a Friday night and it's midnight and I've never been happier. This is a – where does Tim Tebow want to be at midnight on a Friday fucking sweating half naked with the dudes in the locker room? Like, that's exactly where Tim Tebow wants to be. And he said as much, too. Right, he said this was like like fond memories he had awesome. of those sessions. Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, I really liked. You know, Coach Urban wanted us to work hard, and I, I really like to work hard in the locker room with the boys. <laughs> you you paint it in a negative light, but you know the positive spin is that you know he was homeschooled, and now he gets to socialize with people his own age and and of like mind. You know, but like he did a jump pass. So no, no, <laughs> even. Like, no. Even the most charitable way of looking at the jump pass was not able to remotely convince me that the jump pass is a thing that matters as a football play, right? Like right. what is yes. it what is it about the jump pass that makes it a thing worthy of note except for its absurdity, right? Because yeah. otherwise just a I'm going to run, I'm going to fake forward a half a step and then throw throw a completion. And by by the way, the first jump pass was a total fucking fluky piece of yeah. shit luck. It was that, uh, that's a wounded duck that falls over six times, and the and the receiver uh, barely comes down with it anyway. It looks like uh, rugby. It's so in bad. any other in any other just universe that fucking shitty jump pass falls harmlessly to the ground. But uh, right. but no, this is the this is the universe that we get instead. Did we watch anything else besides that god awful piece of shit? No. Not really. Yeah, I think it was just we, that. We watched Hard Knocks. Yeah, Hard Knocks. Watched the Jets beat up on the Giants. I, I, Does that end Hard Knocks, or is there going to be one more? Is I there think one, there's one more. One more tonight? Yeah. yeah. It's tonight. Oh, it is Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday night. Tuesday night, because I had my fantasy draft last night. You know what I got? I got an A-plus grade from the from the Yahoo AI that said I did such a good job. Oh, congratulations, Bob. And I think it was, it's based almost entirely on the fact that I got... Jonathan Taylor, like 80, 80 picks after his average draft position. You know, I wonder how accurate those uh, grades are. Probably not. I don't know. I also got a superior grade uh, for my draft last year and finished fourth. I but made, is that because made, made you were playoffs, bad at the, at the doing? No, it was because yeah, right. uh, Lamar Jackson got hurt. And he, while mm. he was awesome, uh, he then missed a whole bunch of time, and it cost me uh, I'm any so glad to not be doing fantasy football. Are you, uh, are you still playing fantasy football with the boys? No. So I, I thought this uh, upcoming cold season would be a lot more fun. So like I got uh, the NFL Sunday ticket on the YouTube TV because I know that the Colts won't, won't, aren't going to be 
broadcast in any primetime games. And so I thought, oh, that would be just fun. I'm just going to watch the football, and I'm not going to play. So I'm not playing in any league. It's so and nice. I'm going to watch a very shitty product. Yes, uh, you are. <laughs> uh, are they going to get a haul for Jonathan Taylor, or is it just not going to work out? No, because the thing is, you know, what's odd is, you know, the, the Colts front office, they recognize that the running back market has collapsed, but they should also recognize that the – uh, the trade market for running backs has also collapsed. So, like, whatever it is that they think they can get for him, they're not. Right. Especially I mean, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook is playing on a one-year contract with the Jets, yeah. right? I mean, and fucking like Bar- Dalvin Bar- Cook Bar- is Bar- awesome. Yeah. Right. And, and Saquon got, like, a million more than what he was going to get just to kind of keep him quiet. Like, there's, not mo- there's no money to be had for running backs. Right. Uh, who's the Colts quarterback? Uh, Anthony Richardson, the, uh, you know, the Florida. Oh, yeah, uh, the fucking Florida yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah, looks good, like, in preseason, but, like, he looks like he's going to suck a lot, too. So. You're saying, you're not no. drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. You're drafting another fucking quarterback is what you're drafting <laughs> next year. That USC quarterback. Yeah, but, yeah, if this whole thing falls apart, then just, uh, you know, cut your losses. Yeah. All right. Well, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. plan i didn't realize that i needed to take a dump you were not here at 841 i know that's what i'm saying so when i set the over under it was just for the shower and then i'm about to get in the shower and it's like ah gonna need a quick shit here it's not gonna work out otherwise (laughs) and that's why i I always imagine you being a well-oiled machine bob like on the button at 805 a.m after (laughs) coffee or whatever but i guess not uh, coffee's never done it for me. It's no exercise. Oh, wow. If I stop, ex- like 
if I don't exercise because it's the weekend or something or like whatever, then I'm not going to shit as consistently. But if I'm running every day, I'm fairly regular. Uh, wow. But if I if I don't run, it's like you just you never know. Well, get back to it. Are you uh, are either of you preparing for some upcoming ten miler or anything like? Uh, what, what's no, going we on? don't no. have time. Just trying not to die. Okay. <laughs> The proceeding was created with 100% human content.